Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, Northampton Town audio show. Better than a Steve Terry chip in front of the hotel end. I'm Tom Reed and tonight I'm joined by the usual band of cobblers supporting miscreants. Mine is Ian Brandt, who's hosting a gourmet cooking course in the Balearics. First up, it's Northampton baseball legend, who told me to say that, Martin Maloney, aka Paul Belfon. How's the baseball going, Martin? Uh, really good, really good. We're... um. We're frantically, we've got friendlies lined up for Sunday with Milton Keynes and Bedford coming up to us, but we're waiting on permission from um, like a national governing body to be able to play. And um, without getting too political, the, the government's shambolic handling of um, COVID continues when it comes to get to getting permission back to play sports. So um, not holding me breath. Well, hopefully you'll be you'll be back playing soon up in. Where do you play St Crispin's, isn't it? You've got a diamond up there. Yes, yeah. So we um so we got I say friendlies hopefully on Sunday. If that falls by the wayside, we've got the league due to start the week after, and we've got Brentwood Stags making their first ever trip to St Crispin. So yeah, we'll we'll be ready to go. If we have to lose a couple of weeks of fixtures, we'll do it. But we're planning to play kind of into like toward the end of September. So yeah, there there will be baseball in Northampton, and the claret and gold will be out doing us proud. Brentwood Stags sounds like a, a, a pretty decent name for a baseball team. I'm still on the lookout for a few, a few Cuban expats because I'm going to turn it in Northampton baseball into you know, the Oakland A's. I reckon we can do a bit of money ball there, get you into the big leagues, start making a bit of money. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out for uh, some, uh, some some Cubans out on the uh, Northampton scene. Um, next up, we've got Eurosport commentating ace. Again, he's paid me to say that currently acting as agents of such fabulous sounding footballers as Pablo Mills. It's Andy Bodfish. Hello, Andy. <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you Hello. doing, mate? You're back, back doing your comms and stuff, aren't you, and your, all your link work and stuff? Yeah, it's opened up a bit again this week. Yeah, July 23rd. So it's one year now, isn't it, to the rebooked Olympics. Um, I'm just sort of slowly drowning my sorrows, really, because... This was the week should have been in Tokyo, getting a nice bit of you know nice nice bit of atmosphere before the opening ceremony on Friday. Uh, but never mind, you know we just we just wind the clock back and start the one year countdown again and roll on 2021. And until then, we've got the uh, shoe rolling to planet Sixfields, haven't it? Haven't we anyway? Maybe. So very heavily interested. <laughs> 
Yeah, we need to talk about fees, by the way. Uh, I've noticed. Yeah, I've noticed you're not. You're, I've noticed you're not returning my calls. No, uh, you're. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna swap you in with um, Chris, Chris Akabusi, I think. So, <laughs> I think <a> <laughs> I so that's enough of Andy's uh, shoe rolling uh, pitch. We've got uh, Jake Moore returning. He's been off for a couple of weeks, but he's really the only one with any bona fide comedy credentials on this panel. He's actually performed at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Doesn't talk about it much, but yeah, uh, Jake. Do you reckon uh, supporting cobblers is more comedy value oh no in no way at all <laughs> it, 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 a, like a, a tragic comedy maybe but uh not not a standard comedy not a ha-ha comedy at the very least you've um you've you sort of performed on the same bill as um james acaster haven't you i think he's a he's a catcher in town fan isn't he? he's local local he's guy, a catcher town and the james acaster recently he gave me a little bit of a shout out on his um his his podcast uh, which he does with a gamble called Off Menu, where he talks about yeah. when we... Because I didn't stand at comedy. I mean, I, I think the last thing he ever did was 10 years ago. But like me and Acaster, me, Acaster and Nathaniel Metcalf, who's also a brilliant comedian, we did like two and a half weeks at the Fringe when I was, about, when I was about 19. And um, But we were in this... Because I'm, I'm going to go up to Edinburgh, fingers crossed, in a, in a little while with my girlfriend. Um, and we're going to go check out this place that I played. It was just this really... Like, it was just a crap sort of like... <laughs> like a gastro pub thing on the west end of edinburgh and no one came and uh it was all like dug up outside because they were putting in like a tram system into edinburgh at the point at that point in time and i remember it was just an absolute nightmare i think one day the the cell the, the edinburgh base of the arsenal supporters club turned up and we all kind of just hid in the toilet so we didn't have to do the show <laughs> um but yeah that was a we didn't do it. It was like, because the guy who, it, we were part of the Free Fringe and the guy who ran the Free Fringe was an absolute lunatic. And he was, uh, his his vision was like, no, all shows go ahead. If I mean, The only reason they would ever be cancelled if nobody turns up. If one person turns up, even that, like in Edinburgh, a lot of the time, one person will turn up and they might not speak English. They're just tourists from another country and they will not yeah. laugh. They will not laugh for an hour because they don't understand what's going on. <laughs> But his view was well, that should still go ahead. He got wind that the supporters club were in and he was like, well, why um, are they not performing? And it was like, because that would be su- not just comedy suicide, maybe actual suicide. So we kind of all uh, uh, hid in the toilets. But yeah, I know um, Acaster genuinely, um, uh, you know, you hear a lot about sort of people who are famous. He's one of the nicest and most hardworking guys. I think I mentioned to you earlier, Tom, that like you asked me, did I always know he was going to be famous? I think, at that point, he was so clearly like a cut above everybody, but it wasn't an overnight success story for him. He has worked so unbelievably yeah. hard for ten years, and I never thought, I never thought personally he would make that crossover into mainstream comedy. But the fact that he has just it gives it, it just gives that little bit of faith that you know that sometimes the good guy does win because he is so supremely talented, so hardworking. He genuinely couldn't happen to a nicer bloke. So yeah, all fair play to him. Yeah, he does. He seems to do a lot for. He talks about catching quite a lot in his in his acting stuff, and I think he always plays the the, the fear in catching. So fair yeah, he, he he hate by all accounts. I mean, I don't know if this is. It might just be. He might be kayfabe in the boy's brother, but um, he uh, <laughs> he uh, he says he always hates playing Northampton. I don't know if that's true, but can't blame him for hating Northampton. I think most of us do. Anyway, it's a horrible so place. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the common thing. So. Did you ever do a, a course? Jake, do you ever do no, a stand-up comedy I, course? I did it though, because I, I kind of I saw well 
I'm not going to sit here dropping names all day as much as I'd like to, but I saw. <laughs> Why not? I, well, I, I saw Josh Winnicombe's like first ever gig, I think, because uh, me and Josh used to be um, quite tight back in the day as well, and um, <laughs> he sort of uh, like. So I was at his first gig. It was like a. Well, he later said it wasn't his first gig, but he did it somewhere else because I, I don't think this one was very cool because it was like a comedy competition. But Josh had done, of course. Josh is very good. What? Acaster sort of, he, his story about getting involved in comedy was he basically would, would like volunteer. He'd volunteer at like this volunteering centre and he, I think he, like, <laughs> pa- he, he painted somebody's house and they said, okay, well, well, what would you like in return? He was like, well, I'd quite like to learn how to do stand-up comedy. And apparently, I, I don't want to sort of paraphrase Acaster, but they sort of um, put him with like a couple of him and a couple of other people with this just old drunk who was like, yeah, I'll teach you comedy. And he just didn't know anything. <laughs> kind of, uh, so all of like Acaster's like court, like basics were learned from this, um, from this just again, a shyster and a charlotte. Yeah. Um, a fascinating world. Fascinating but, little but world. But for me, I was, I was quite, arrogant. I was young and arrogant. I never did a course. I probably could have done with one to be honest with you. But like, I, uh, I, just, I, just, I'm not I just, sure you'd have learned much, mate. It's the yeah. biggest racket going. It is the biggest racket going. I tell all, you. All we, we got to learn is take the mic out of the stand and put the mic stand behind you. We've got a little segue actually to our last guest uh, tonight. Cause I think if I'm right, that Josh Widdicombe, the comedian who's gone to really great success, hasn't he? was actually a football writer for a while. I think he worked for the Guardian Sports Desk. He um, was, yeah. Another, he really? We've got another football writer on in Jefferson Lake. I don't know if you ever bumped into Josh Whittacombe, Jeff, but um, yeah, something something in common there. I haven't, no. I've obviously, I obviously listened to um, Quickly Kevin religiously, so I mm. do know who he is. I thought your segue in there was going to be, speaking of shysters... <laughs> <laughs> that could be ended. Yeah, we'll that in. Tell us what you're up to. You've been, you've been doing some wrestling stuff after the cobblers haven't you you did you did uh you headed up the sky sports wrestling coverage but bt bt took that over didn't they they did yeah so um i finished up my uh shift doing the cobblers for the cron in april march april 2015 i went to sky sports then i'd been freelancing there for a couple of years a freelance at bbc as well prior to that and then basically a job came up at, at Sky Sports. So I, I did that. And um, uh, a couple of years with the, the news team there, which is the team I'm now back in. And then I did a secondment as a WWE editor, which is which was really interesting. It gave me opened my eyes to so many different things of, you know, corporate relationships between gigantic companies and and yeah. the management thereof. Really, what I always say to people is I've been massively lucky because when I was a kid, the two things that I probably really, I, I wanted to be a journalist when I was a kid, and the two things I really wanted to write about were the cobblers and WWE. So I, I've got to do both of those things. Uh, I actually, for, and you will probably know this, Tom, I don't know if it's how widely known it is, I start my very first published work was in the Wallach fanzine, the Wallach of Cobblers yeah. fanzine. Yeah. Um, way, way back in the, as a, well, I was a small child, um, but so yeah so I you know I've been really lucky to be able to write about the cobblers I, I loved that job for for a very long time even though there were times it didn't love me and then there were uh, the the wrestling thing as well which was very cool I got to go abroad the very first interview I did with the with the WWE was at a restaurant called Juniors in Brooklyn which is uh, quite a sort of iconic old school 
Brooklyn restaurant and it was with Ric Flair who is probably my favorite wrestler of all time and that was I've been in the job about a month at that point and I'd already interviewed for Sky Sports News my favorite the the, the, the greatest as far as I'm concerned guy to ever do it um <laughs> yeah so yeah it was I, I peaked massively early and having done both of those things and now kind of think like well what what I said to do now I've done the cobblers and I've done WWE and you try to find a new goal somewhere, I suppose. But yeah, it's been, it's been great. I've loved it. I guess you can mix, invent a new sport in mixing wrestling with football. <laughs> is that rugby well, there is, there's a lot of crossover, isn't there? There's, there is an <laughs> enormous amount of crossover. Um, what was quite interesting, kind of from a, a journalistic point of view, was when you interview wrestlers, because a big part of what they're about is uh essentially acting really you know in terms of their mannerisms and dialogue and you know talking in a certain way they were always interesting to interview whereas having interviewed footballers for 10 years they weren't always interesting Um, (laughs) and sports people by definition kind of see um or you know by generally see half talking to the media as something they have to do that's a bit of yeah. an annoyance and a distraction yeah. from what they're really about, which is training and, you know, preparation and everything. The rest of it uh, is it, it, they do seem to. And some of them hide their annoyance better than others. Whereas with wrestlers, it's all about um, promoting themselves and promoting their own kind of brand, if you like. I was going to ask you, Jeff. I mean, I remember when uh, the, the New Day made you take your shirt off. They did. did yeah, that's right. Did, did Ben Toes ever do anything similar to that when you was interviewing him? Not, not in a professional setting. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So that was that was that was an interesting one. This, yeah. I mean, it's not like any other kind of journalism I'd ever done before uh, and was always quite a weird one to write reports of events up because you're kind of writing it knowing that everyone reads it knows it's predetermined um, and not actually real but you've still kind of got to write it as though it was a real event with real championships changing hands and things like that that was a bit strange um, but yeah, no, no nudity while covering the cobblers. <laughs> more, more's the pity. <laughs> I, I, I always think that WWE and um, especially top level football, maybe the, the big six as it's called in the Premier League, are not not too different because in in WWE, it's you know, fixed. yeah, no, no it's, it's, you know, what do we call it? Sports entertainment. Maybe you might know you already know the winner. And in football, when the when the when the league starts, you know, we all know who's going to be up there at the top. So I don't think there's any, you know, massive difference in terms of you know that sort of sporting element to it. But I, I guess it must have been really interesting for you, Jefferson, to go from interviewing cobblers players and and you know away players as well, and they're media trained now, and they're you know they never give much away managers, so they didn't give any away, and then you go and you speak to someone who's basically has to hype up their themselves to get ahead in in the business. So it must have been a like from you know famine to feast in that respect in terms of the, the content yeah it was and it was it was really good and you know sometimes the they'll do interviews completely in character but then sometimes they'll sort of dip, slip in and out of their character which was which was quite cool as well um yeah i don't think it ever got as, as challenging as having to take the shirt off that was Thanks for reminding me of that, Jake. I'd, I'd, I'd had, can- had counselling to get over that, and I'd managed to get rid of it. They liked what they saw. I can, I can remember because I, you know, I love the business. You know, hey, I've got yeah. no shame in admitting that. And I like the new day. I think they're a good team. And I remember watching my good buddy 
Jefferson Lake interview them, and they made him take his shirt off, and they and they were complimentary, Jeff, about what you were uh, were rocking underneath. They were, but, yeah. But at least you weren't you weren't beasted like Paul Louis Fleur in the uh, I think no, it's called Sarge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We can talk a little bit more about the, the wrestling and stuff, you know, a bit later on. Um, uh, someone said to me last week, we didn't talk about cobblers at all or football. So we've got to talk a little <laughs> bit about Northampton Town. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> oh, I thought this was a, I thought this was a WWE podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll go. It's, it's beatniks and WWE. So it's a good combination. But <laughs> a we talk a little bit. We talk a little bit about League One. It's, it's, it's pretty exciting, really. Cobblers, you know, don't spend too much time in League One, usually a season and drop out. Um, we'll start. We'll start with you, Andy. Like, have you had much chance to look at League One for next season? I'll, I'll talk, talk us through a couple of the teams that, have, <clears> that are in. Obviously, Posh. Obviously, are going to be a big, yeah, it's a massive. I mean, massive fixtures Sunderland. next season, aren't there? Sunderland, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, yeah. it's you've got Ipswich. sort of port, yeah, there's Ipswich in there, isn't there? There's Hull, um, the uh, so Wimbledon are there. Um, yeah, the one that I was looking at, it's a ground that I've never got to, and you know, won't next season either, but but whatever. I mean, Port Fratton Park down in um, Portsmouth, I've heard nothing yeah. but. Good stories about that place and, you know, good day out. I don't know, that tight, real old school look and feel to it, hasn't it? Where the stadium's like on top of the pitch. Fratton Park is a proper old school round. We went there when we won the league uh, under Chris Wilder. I think it was the last game we played there. Mm-hmm. I like it. It's got like an old school feel to it. They've got like razor wire graffiti and stuff. And it's just... It's oh, just brilliant. Images, <laughs> you know, that, that threat. You need that threat there to sort of uh, make it feel sort of authentic. But... They're obviously a big club, and we need, you know, we need to be playing against the bigger clubs, really. Um, Martin, who are you looking forward to playing next season? Although we might not even get there as a way fan, I guess. But who are you looking forward to, Martin? Well, yeah, I think if we if we if we kind of assume some sort of um, normality and being able to travel, I think as has been said, it's um, there's some great ones, isn't there? I mean, obviously there's a trip up up the A605. Um, yeah. You know, we, albeit it was. A lot better in the 90s when, when it was like one of the best grounds you'd visit with the stat with like a covered standing end. Sunderland um, holds a place in my heart with the other half being, being a Mackham. So, um, you know, we'll see if our relationships with stat withstands two cobbler Sunderland games. Hull yeah. is one one of the few I've not been to. I think Ipswich, I remember going there in the cup in about 88, 88, 88 maybe. That 87, 88 season. Yeah. Second round of the cup, something like that. Yep. League Cup, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. So, so yeah, it's it's going to be great going, going to a few new places. Accrington, AFC, Wimbledon clubs. I've really got a soft spot for. Oh, it's, it's 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 going to be absolutely fantastic. If away games happen, there's some really good away trips in that. Like for me, Blackpool. We just find um, you know an away trip at Blackpool really really quite enticing. Although Blackpool in the nicest place. Um, I've been to Blackpool a couple of times and actually gone in. I've been up to see Blackpool to cover their protests up there because of um, the Oysters and stuff. So. I've not, and so a couple of times I actually never went across the threshold. So it'd be nice to actually go in and watch Cobblers at Blackpool. Obviously the place where Ian had his worst away day last week. Jeff, let's go to you, Jefferson. Mm. Have you had much chance to look at League One and, and the well, teams obviously, in it and have some bigger clubs? Yeah, so we know the lineup now, don't we? Because of the, the championship finished this week. So we know all the teams relegated per, with Wigan Athletics appeal permitting. Um, yeah. Yes. I mean, on the surface, you look at that, that's a great division to be in next season. Yeah. yeah. I mean, from, from a Northampton point of view, you've obviously got the derby at Peterborough. 
and then games at Oxford and MK Dons, which are, you know, within an hour's drive, both of those, then, I mean, we spoke, Sunderland have been mentioned, that's an enormous club in in this level of football. Hull City yeah. as well, Ipswich. Um, we uh, did we play Ipswich after we beat Liverpool in that cup run? <clears throat> we did, yeah. 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 So uh, been to Portman Road. Uh, that's that's a proper old school football ground. Um, the only two I haven't been to actually there are Blackpool. Weirdly, I've never done. I've never been to a game there. So that's definitely one we need. I need to get to. And uh, Charlton Athletic again, another a massive club in that level. Yeah. Um, the only the only thing I would say is I'm looking at a lot of these clubs and I'm thinking, and I, I really hope you guys can kind of balance out my completely ingrained negativity about the Cobblers. But I'm looking <laughs> at that. This I'm looking at the group of teams next season. I'm thinking, who of those are we going to beat? Oxford United twice. We're going to take six points <laughs> as usual. <laughs> And that's what I'm looking forward to as well. And yet they'll still be a better side than us. <laughs> well, you can't, they're crafty like that, aren't they? They play beautiful, attractive football, but they can't beat the cobblers, can they? Yeah, the way I look at it, League Two looks terrible. And it's all very Northern-based as well mm. for us. A lot of long away trips. So we did we did well to get out of it. And I was speaking to Andy Holt, the Accrington chairman, and he, he was he's quite fearful about the way football is going to go. I don't want to get too heavy into the, you know, you know, the, the way the machinations of football and where leagues are going to be carved up but he said you want to be as high up as possible because if any TV deals change and stuff like that you want to be getting yeah. the most money at the highest table you can be so you know cobblers in league two are in quite a vulnerable position with a you know capacity of 7,000 and an average gate of about 4,000 so we, we really need to be getting as high up as possible so it's good I, I, I think you, you mentioned that a couple of weeks ago after the playoff final yeah. time there's, def, there's definitely a feel of just getting out on that last chopper yeah. to, to, to get to get out of that division whilst everything's being reset was absolutely critical and we need to be in a higher league to get people like Callum Morton back they're going to be hot property and the higher we are the more chance well that's the other thing isn't it West Brom have have been promoted to the Premier League so you've got to imagine he won't play in their first team next season they'll look to get him out again somewhere why not come back to us yeah I think I was looking at his Twitter and I think he lives in Torquay or something he's got Torquay on his oh he's He's from Torquay yeah that's right yeah but he plays for West Brom so he's probably fairly Midlands based now so and we're progressing him really nicely, so I, I think it was you know, it's a good choice for him to come back here, but obviously slightly biased. Um, but yeah, league league one's looking good for next season. Hopefully, we'll get back into the the ground soon enough and start enjoying those sort of bigger clubs again. Um, the sort of next thing I wanted to talk about was the big man, Adebayo Akinfenwa, and his success with Wickham and getting into the championship, which I think is pretty amazing at the age of 38. Um, and I just think, although he's a big figure at Northampton, I think maybe we didn't make as much of him as we could do. Obviously, culminating in that Wembley game. But um, Martin, you must are you pleased for uh, Kim Fenwa being next Cobblers player? Uh, thrilled to bits. Um, I think when we talked, maybe was it, the, was it the very first podcast we did? You know, who was your hero? And I talked about the great, the great footballers, Martin Smith, Mark Gariadini, the player, you know, players I was just wowed by. Who was the guy whose heart said, that's that's the that's the guy for me, and it's Akin Fenwa every day of the week. Um, wonderful character, amazing, inspirational. More, I think sometimes you might be perceived as a bit of a pantomime character, but 
when you've heard him talk kind of about about serious issues like racism, that is incredibly articulate. He's a leader. Mm. What you said that we maybe didn't make the most of him. Probably spent about five seasons with us. Yeah, I think when I was talking about maybe not making the most of him, and I, I wrote an article about him for Football Three Six Five, which he actually quite liked, which was nice. But I, I was sort of referring to the fact that he's a superstar, and I remember saying to the club at the time, you know, why why don't you just sell his t-shirts in the club shop, or why don't you, you know, why don't you make he's he's a big he's a big sell, you know, you could be making more of this, and it never really happened. What do you reckon? And Jake, in terms of Bayer in the club, was, do you reckon we could have made a bit more of him? Oh, mate. Well, like, genuinely, I, 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 think, I, I thought the same thing. I think it was only going in one way at the point when he was at the Cobblers, and it was clear that he was going to be, which sounds absolutely ridiculous, like this breakout star from the lower leagues. Like, you've seen it before, like, Lee Trundle was one, Baz Savage was one, and they were, you know, Lee Trundle was good, Baz Savage wasn't, but he was one of these players who was kind of, you know, it become bigger than the division. And I think could I throw a suggestion in with those names? If we could have had a player with Trundle's skill, Bayo's strength, and Savage's celebration, <laughs> I just play and watch them every week. Yeah, I mean, but but what? But my thinking was, you know, because when I was in Canada. I mean, I said a couple of weeks ago about Carlo Coverzin. No one knew who Carlo Coverzin was, and he was Canadian, right? <laughs> but if you if you mentioned, uh, I remember I, I, the first place I lived in uh, Canada, I was living with this um, with a guy who was a uh, he was Canadian guy, he was Korean Canadian, and he's like, "Who do you support?" And I was like, "Northampton Town." Expecting to be like, "Who is that?" He went, "Oh, uh, Akinfenwa," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> that was kind of the thing. And then I, yeah. I remember I had his book, and um, I, he got sent over from from here. And the first Christmas I was there, and I went to work, and I, and they were like, "Oh, the Beast, yeah." yeah. Like that's the thing. Like he was, people knew who he was. And I think, imagine if the Cobblers were savvy, and certain elements of our fan base. I don't want to put anyone on blast, but like you know, people in the fan base don't like him, and I think there's a couple of reasons why as well, which I won't go into. But um. You know, if we could have like maybe just got a load of cobbler shirts that had number ten Akinfenwa on the back, sold them worldwide, we could have made an absolute fortune. And the fact that we didn't yeah. do that, and the fact that he went to Wimbledon and he sort of has built his profile, then he went to Wickham and he's built it even more. Wickham must be laughing their way. I mean, maybe not to the bang, but they are certainly not losing money on that player. You know what I mean? So it's a shame, but it's completely typical of this football club. I love it, but Christ almighty, it can be frustrating at times. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think that, you know, if you're always going to be a League Two club if you always think like a League Two club and you always yeah. think, yeah, no, not, that's not for us. That's not, that's, that's not a Norway, a Northampton way of doing it. I just felt at that point we're back in Fenwa. Yeah. Um, yeah, we could have done a little bit more with him. Um, Jefferson, you were on the ground, uh, I think, at that point. Covering the cobblers, what was first of all like? What was your sort of understanding of that sort of big man at the club dynamic, especially with people like Boothroyd? And you know, what was he like generally as a, a character to deal with? Well, to the Boothroyd thing first, and I mean, you you've kind of said you kind of said it really. It's I I did actually say to the club, why aren't you? Because he had the too big to play football T-shirt, didn't he? Um, which people yeah. were buying through his mm. own his own platform you know he had his own 
I don't know what it, don't know what it would be at that time, just like an online shop, wasn't it? <clears throat> that people were buying it directly from him. And I said to the, the club, someone from the club, why don't you have, why are these not in the club shop? Or why do you not, like uh, Jake was saying, have something, some like merchandise based around him? And again, that's kind of a bit of a WWE thing where people buy the things they like for their, uh, the T-shirts they like to support their wrestler rather than the company overall. And the response I got back was... Uh, an unattributed quote here, not particularly professional from a journalist, but was that AD didn't want to do it. Now, the reason for that will be is that whenever I whenever I was around the football club, it was kind of shorthand for all the players and all the staff to all refer to the manager as he. So like they would say, uh, and, you, and you would know who it was. So they would say like, oh, he's, he's not putting me in this week. He's told me I've got to go out on the bike. Uh, he wants us to play like this, you know, as though he was like some kind of God figure. But in a lot of ways, in the clubs of that level, it did feel a bit like the manager completely ran the football club. Um, mm. And in some cases, that was a very negative thing that happened, mentioning no names. Um, but with Boothroyd and Akin Fenwa, you were dealing with probably the two, certainly two of the biggest egos that were involved in my time covering the football club, you know, to just the head on collision of two massive alpha males who, uh, 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 and it, it was, there's only going to be one winner when the person, someone is running the football team, running the club, deciding budgets, deciding who gets a new contract, who doesn't. Um, and that, that, I think that's really what I boiled down to, you know, I, I do get as well about the, the the club have to take some of the blame for not fully uh, monetizing and making the most of Akin Femma when he was there because other clubs have done that. And when he, he that was kind of at the, at the start of where he really started to uh, take off with the, the FIFA stuff, you know, with the, um, the YouTuber KSI did the Akin Femma video that mm. really it just exploded him. Um, not literally, luckily. Um, and yeah, they, they probably could have done more. But I just think it was just two enormous personalities, personalities clashing. And that manifested itself with that playoff final selection, which, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's people now who will still be upset about that. The, the fact that he yeah. selected yeah, Clive me. Platt in 2013. <laughs> Cl- Clive Platt, he either, I can't remember exactly, he either trained once or he didn't train any times prior to that playoff final yes mm. he was selected to start it um oh boy so, there you go back in Fenwa, um you know it's got to the back to the championship at the age of 38 mm. when he spent a lot of his time maybe in the league one league two and stuff so that is that's just a fantastic achievement and i'm just very pleased for him on various levels he, he did he's done a lot for the football <clears> club <throat> when we we're in financial trouble he was first there to um, auction off his shirt his hat-trick shirt for for the, the trust and everything like that. So he, he's, he's done a lot for the football club and he always speaks very highly of Northampton. So I think, you know, it's up to us to, to big him up and say, you know, well done. Barrow, um, and hopefully, you know, I think I can see him actually ended up in uh, the USA actually playing football. And funny enough, maybe I reckon he could, I could, he could make it as a wrestler actually with that physique. So we can't move on <laughs> to that later on. But, um, you know, fair, fair play to, um, I think I'm wrong. Wish him all the best to, keep going probably going to these 40 odds um yeah so the next thing we're going to talk about moving swiftly on is nothing connected to i can really but we're t- we were talking earlier on about our favorite grounds and 
stadiums we've been to in England and abroad. And Andy, in his Eurosport brief, has been to a hell of a lot of grounds, haven't you, Andy? I don't know if you've ever counted them all up, but um, you've been to loads, haven't you, Andy? What are your favourites? The Serie A days were good. Um, I was just having a little tot-up earlier, actually. I think eight of the 12 Italia 90 grounds I managed to get to. Um, oh, wow. Awesome. And, yeah, do, do, do a game there, um, which was... Which was a great time, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the all those grounds. I remember Genoa. Uh, managed to get to the uh, much unloved Deli Alpi in um, in Turin. You know, the, the the massive, ridiculous stadium that was built and then knocked down, sort of twenty years later. I mean, probably the favourite of of all to be a fan at and to work out. It's a San Siro. I mean, that is just a cathedral, yeah. really. The, I'm sure, you know, you, 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 I'm sure you've been there on, um, you know, European away days and stuff. A very steep, fantastic atmosphere and just just a wonderful place to, to watch football, which is why when the news came out a couple of months ago that, you know, they're going to rip it up, aren't they, and start from scratch again, you're kind of like, no, don't do that. I mean, it's only 30 years since it was renovated for Italia 90. And it seems to me a massive shame that that's the shelf life of a of a stadium these days. You know, there's still so much to admire about the San Siro. It looks great, and you know that um, you know if they tear it down and build it again, it might have some nice features, but it'll just look like all the others. So I'm quite surprised they're not going to um, just use the iconic you know twisting staircases in some way or recreate them or something like that well, you you would you would right. hope that you would it's hope that because they say, well they're so key to the identity of that stadium i mean much like the twin towers at wembley i mean quite seriously something should have been done with those twin towers i've got a little bit of a theory about modern stadium designs is i reckon the marketeers get involved in the designs and you know the bods in the office and they spend all their times in airports function rooms you know Offices and stuff like right. that. So they want they want them to look like the sort of areas <laughs> they they hang out of and spend their miserable little lives and not the, what the football was. So watch out for the cascading waterfall at the new yeah. um, at the new <laughs> Yeah. So Martin, you've followed Cobblers and all other clubs, Dulwich Hamlet, people like that. You know, it doesn't have to be an international stadium or even a big one particularly. But what what are your favourite grounds or ground? Well, I mean, clear, clearly, as 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 well travelled as um as Mr. Bodfish, you know, I've I've, I've seen I've seen the world, and for me, there's nowhere that comes. I mean, aside from if I went back in time, uh, the Moy's End at at Posh was it Moy's End? We had the, the Moy's End mm. that one. That away end was like you couldn't have a bad time in that away end, even if you were getting a shoe in there. It was um proper eighties style football. But for me, for the one that's still there that I absolutely love, it's the Crown Ground at Accrington. I think yeah. there's something out of time about it. You know, it the, the harks back to, you know, stands that were built, you know, 20 years apart. Nothing quite joins together. <laughs> Round the, you know, just, you know, in the middle of town, just down from a, a wonderful pub. And it's just like, yeah, I think when I, whenever I go to Aki, it's like, yeah, this is this is what is one of the places I'm looking forward to if we get to visit this upcoming season. This is a ground, and it helps that you know they're really well run as well. Um, there's a lot about that club that club to love on every level, and yeah, 
it's probably my favourite place to go for football. Those sort of grounds, even though they might be a bit ramshackle, they can just elicit like just a real authenticity and like a feeling in you that you wouldn't really sort of expect them to. And I think Andy Holt, the Accrington chairman, would be really pleased with what you said because he puts a lot of effort, in, especially into like doing stuff for fans. So the beer's cheap in there, the food's good. That's all. That's all fans really want. Really, they don't want anything yeah. particularly. You know, you know, I, two points. There's something about if you go to a non-league club. So I'll go up and watch Wellingborough Town more often than I'll go and watch Dulwich, but. You go there, you cater into a small a small crowd. So your beer prices are calibrated to it. You're treated like a human. It's people want to attract you to come back. They don't want to fleece you. And I think that's one of the things that Accrington and Andy Holt, I think, does an amazing job there. And, and he's a fantastic guy on social media as well. I think they've not lost that. And they've got to League One without that kind of thing. And I, I think... It'd be lovely that more clubs could kind of latch onto that. I agree completely. And actually, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this subject was because um, Brentford had their last game at mm. Christian Park last night. That was I just remembered why that's sort of um, that's weeks why we were going to talk about it. And Griffin Park is such an amazing football ground. I don't really call it a football stadium. It's just a proper ground. And I think it's really mm. sad that. That's going to go. Um, Jefferson might have actually been there reported on Cobblers there. I, mean, I think Jason Crowe scored for, for Cobblers there one time. But, it, you know, it had, uh, it's had it got a home terrace for it, you know, for example, um, still still going even now, well, just before they moved to their new stadium. It's got a home terrace, got a double-decker away end, which I really like. I think that's really cool. Yeah. It's sort of a working-class area in London with, you know, a pub in every corner, which it's famous for. But just a very authentic football ground and... Just uh, you go a, a day out in Brentford, you'll have a really good time, and they've got a good, really good little team as well. And I just think that's a real shame that that's going. And of course, it's been replaced by expensive real estate, as they always do. And I just think it's a real shame that the only way really football clubs can move is by selling their grounds for, for land values. So that's that's one thing, and that sort of leads on to my other favourite ground, which is probably probably all, most of you have been there, uh, Edgar Street at Hereford. <laughs> which is just uh, like stepping back in time I mean, it's, yeah, it's, totally. it's just so great they've got like a they've got a really good home terrace which is still there i think they've got a little double decker side uh, stand at the side and yeah. it's in the town center it's really important so you can go in hereford have a have a side or a beer just trundle down to regular street and it, i just think you've got to protect these sort of grounds because they're just dying off you know for their real estate values and <laughs> Don't know. Did you ever go there, Jefferson? Oh, yeah. I um, yeah. I, I've done games there, um, and I think we. I think Northampton drew their nil-nil. I think under Boothroyd when they stayed up towards the end of the season, yeah. something they like did, that. Yeah. But I also went there as a fan in, and I'm pretty sure it was uh, whatever the auto windscreen shield was called mm. at the time, mm. a away game, or it might have been a league game. Or, you know, let's, let's let's not oversell it, Lake. Um, it's, and and uh, went there on a Tuesday night, and it took sort of like three hours to get there or something. And we just and we obviously lost one nil, um, sort of early to mid nineties. I think Steve White scored for them. Do you remember that striker, Steve White? That yeah, was, seemed to score yeah. a lot of goals. Then um, scored a few there as well. Yeah, and uh, again, love that ground. A couple of the grounds that have been mentioned by the other guys as well. The the Moyes end at Peterborough is is amazing, or was I should say, because it's now all seater, isn't it? Um, probably mo- one of my certainly top five moments in following the Cobblers happened there, which was the Sam- Ian Sampson goal 
uh, around mm. Christmas 2000, something like that, where the ball got clipped back in and he just side foot volleyed it in, which was just amazing. Daryl Clare, I think, on the cross. Accrington as well is is a brilliant ground. I love Ac- lo- used to love doing games there. Um, I have got a funny Accrington-related story at Accrington. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I can say it because it, it does involve a very bad swear word. Um, <laughs> I, I say it, brother. Now, it's fine. Could I had wanna... Paul Hubert calling someone a <laughs> so we're doing it right. Okay, you know? all right. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, what? I ain't expecting that. <laughs> At Accrington, uh, you know, the away end is that open terrace behind the goal and down the left-hand side of that is the sort of the, it's probably about, only about six or seven rows deep little stand where the dugouts are and stuff that's where the press box is sort of towards the the other goal and the fans there are almost all over 80 years old i would say um so a lot a lot of grannies and granddads akifem was scored his first goal uh, and was sort of he did he did some kind of celebration some kind of like south london celebration which was never going to sit too well with the, uh, the uh, octogenarians in that corner of lancashire and um he as he was walking back uh, it was caught almost completely silent and an old boy shouted out hey, you're bloody fat <laughs> and, and everyone everyone in the stand heard it and everyone went Oh no, no, oh no, 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 that's not on. No, you can't, you can't say that. You can't say that. And this old boy sort of looked a bit sheepish for a minute and sort of 30 seconds or so passed and the game restarted. And he stood up and went, I'm sorry about that, everyone. I don't know what, come, I don't know what come over me. I'm ever so sorry. I've got a story about Edgar Street, actually. We yeah. went there covering the Diamonds um, some years ago and it was, it was a, like a Tuesday night match. Billy Turley had an absolute shocker, so so we pulled him out, and they were playing. I think Diamonds were playing Altrincham on the Saturday, and Billy Turley just kept, for whatever reason, he kept talking about the Altrincham match, but he kept calling them Alcatrum. <laughs> and it was. Just, <laughs> but the thing, but the thing is, he, he he like he kept saying it. Oh. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, yeah, we've got something at the weekend. He's just like, yeah, Alcatraz are a good side. And, yeah, yeah, Alcatraz will be difficult. I just, oh, it's always stuck with me. It's ridiculous. I do. Um, Alcatraz I... sounds like a Transformer from the 80s, I think. Uh, yeah. Alcatraz. Alcatraz. If, if you'd have been covering a side away at Altrincham, I mean, we can't we can't do it now because he's passed away, but it would have been great to have once had Frank Sidebottom as your own colour man. Completely. You want him doing the um, the post-match interviews, really? It'd be rude not to have Jefferson on and not to ask him one of his favourite uh, wrestling venues he's been to. Because in, in America, they have massive venues. And I always think of that. Where's that massive dome? Is that in, in Denver? Oh, there's there's, m- there's yeah. many. Well, I, yeah, yeah. So I did. Um, I covered two WrestleManias, which is their biggest event of the year, um, mm. and they were both NFL stadiums. The first one was at the Superdome in New Orleans. Yeah, and, that's it. Um, I was mind blown by that because it was a seventy-five thousand seat venue, completely full, yeah. and it's indoors. It's a. It's like the Birmingham did, NEC, but times did, did five. You, did you go to the Detroit one, Jeff? That was no, used in the World no, Cup, no. wasn't it? Ninety four. No, not been there. I went to uh, so the only two I, the only two NFL ones I went to were that one in New Orleans and MetLife Stadium, which is in New Jersey. Um, and they did an event. They did a Royal Rumble uh, at the um, Arizona Diamondbacks. 
baseball stadium <laughs> yeah. um, in Phoenix, which was pretty cool, but very weird dynamic because uh, with a baseball stadium, all the stands are kind of on one side. Yeah. So, yeah, it was that was a bit, bit odd. That. Well, I mean, uh, you also came to Toronto, Jeff, didn't you? Whilst, uh, I did. Whilst your, whilst your boy Jake Moore was there and you, uh, you hot-shotted him. And, I did. Uh, I, yeah, sorry. Sorry, yeah. Didn't get him into the free bar at the CN Tower. <laughs> Doing the um, the WWE stuff at those American big American stadiums is like you say it is a different level, um, mainly as well because they just last so bloody long. One of those events, mm. um, <laughs> those WrestleManias are seven hours, yeah. um, and you want you you get there about an hour before, so you and there's a buffet. So I mean, I dread to think how many calories I ate during one of those <laughs> with all that American food. I think uh, we can't we can't really finish this segment on on stadium without um, speaking to Andy about his running with the cleaning lady or the toilet attendant in was it Genoa Stadium, Andy? You want to tell the story? Oh, that was yeah, the Ferraris in Genoa. Um, oh, yeah, first time I'd ever been to cover Sampdoria, iconic ground. You know, I remember Scotland getting beaten there by Costa Rica, and you got all these memories of these wonderful places. So thrilled to get there. But because it was a dodgy itinerary for Italy, you used to fly into these cities in the morning and sometimes out at night, um, you know, flights permitting. And so I, you know, my guts were all over the show, basically, because you'd eat a, a rubbish breakfast on the plane and you'd grab a croissant. And usually by about 2.15, 3 o'clock, something needed to happen. So, um, yeah, so you, you, sort of, you sort of disappear into the bowels of the Ferraris, not a place I'd ever been before. You go into the, 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 the ban there. Uh, the, you know the, the bog, um, and it's basically yeah, just sort, sort of one sink with two cubicles either side, with no no writing on the door. So okay, yeah, I'll go into that one, and um, yeah, and so on and so forth, and no paper, so you improvise. Um, so you leave, you, so you leave the cubicle, um, and just go be greeted with a stern-looking woman just just standing there waiting for you to come out and just so i sort of tried to avoid eye contact wash my hands sit in the stand about 50 minutes to kick off so whatever you're looking at notes sound checks tap on the shoulder look round. it's that woman with a massive <laughs> roll of toilet paper um, just shout, shouting at me in italian so, sorry, Andy, have I missed it, mate? Did you shit yourself at this stadium? <laughs> no, no, mate. I, I, I was very pleased at the fact I avoided doing what you just described. <laughs> you know, the sound engineer dissipated the situation and tried to make me feel a lot better by saying, oh, she's she crazy lady. What would have been good there, Andy, was if like somehow you had your microphone on for the entire time mate, and broadcast no, oh, over uh, your s Oh, no, mate, knowing the setup over there, it would have been. Uh... <laughs> that, that cleaning lady tells that story to our family to this day, Andy, so you've gone down and uh, yeah. you know our cleaning lady. She's, yeah, on, Jake, a, she's on a cleaning lady podcast that, um... right now. Bailing that tale. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never guess what happened to me once at Genoa. When I was... I'm on that one as well. <laughs> Jake, didn't you have a bit of a pop at Cambridge? Yeah, my my situation at Cambridge away. So this this isn't even that long ago. This is like 2015. And uh, I've been on, uh, as a fellow, he he basically, I think Jeff maybe knows him, uh, he would occasionally organise a bus to go to like a few more of the tasty grounds. And I kind of, at this point, I was, you know, I was looking quite good. You know, I was, you know, I was probably the thinnest I've ever been. I'm not going to start bragging, but, you know, I was looking pretty fine. And I remember turning up, (laughs) I remember turning up to the pub. It was the the volunteer, 
And I walked in like in my skinny jeans or like a, a, a 19, an 18th century dandy or something. And it was like a lot of people there, you know, who weren't like me putting in that way. <laughs> so we kind a, lot of, of, a lot of Stone Island. On a lot of Stone Island. You know, I was, you know, I was, I was sticking out like a sore thumb. <laughs> so anyway, so we get, on, we get on this bus to Cambridge and I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm just hitting the beers, you know, I'm having a good time. I'm getting loose, you know, get to Cambridge and I go in the cubicle because the, all the orders are full. I lock the door because I'm an idiot. I can't get the door unlocked again. So I'm kind of stuck. And uh, I'm like, shout, I'm shouting to my buddy outside saying, you know, hey, I'm stuck in the toilet. I'm going to climb over. Don't go anywhere because you're going to need to like sort of catch me. So I kind of like climb up out of the toilet and he's gone. Like he's legged it. He's like left me to <laughs> die at the Abbey Stadium. At that point, <laughs> Yestin Pocock walks around the corner, the best named cobbler's fan of all time. Um, and he's like, what are you doing up there? And I said, I'm stuck in the toilet. And he kind of had to sort of like carry me down with his two, like he, had, he put sort of, you know how you boost somebody up? He kind of boosted me down. Um, and uh, Cobbs got beat 2-1, just so you know. But I remember after the game, um, the legend Gary Harris, we were all on the bus. And uh, there's, I think like some lads kind of gave a little bit to the bus. And then everybody on this bus kicked off. I remember Gary standing up and like roaring, let's see um, this, let's see oh this no. lot off then. And I remember me just oh thinking, no. I'm so up my depth. I, I need to <laughs> get, back to, get back to Kingsport. Yeah, I just, you know, with that Cambridge thing, I have like images of you just getting, imagine you got stuck in Cambridge like all night, there's a cleaner, like lock the toilet or whatever. Could have happened, could have happened. If, if, it, if, <laughs> yeah, if, if, if that happened now, now I'm a big, I'm a big lumbering oaf of a man and not like a, a skinny waif I, I would still probably still be living there to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I, I'd say I'd be I'd say I'd be playing for Cambridge but I'd be stuck in the toilet so that would be happening <laughs> yeah we've been talking for a while we've got to wrap up soon but I think we'll have a little chat before we go to Jefferson about his time reporting on the cobblers it was a long time as he said and he, you know Jeff you, you saw out quite a few different managers come and go mm. and stuff like that. And, you know, I think one of the main questions to ask, I guess, is like, did you have any run-ins with the managers or players where they give you a bit of grief for what you've written or said? Obvious one I can think of was um, I was quite new to the job. Pete Norton, who's the club photographer and was the photographer of the Chronicle at the time. And I spoke to him after the game or whatever. And he said, I'm going to send you a photo because Sean Dyche was in the stand. Sean Dyche in the West End. I was like, oh, OK, yeah. And he's like, yeah, he's uh, just been released by Watford and whatever, you know. So he was, he lives, he's like, he lives in Northampton. He used to play for Rothwell Town. OK, like, brilliant. So I just whacked it in the diary just with the, just the picture and then just the caption saying, spotted in the stand at Sixfields on Saturday to watch the last home game of the season, whatever it was. <laughs> Uh, Sean Dyche, could the uh, could the Northampton-based centre-half, recently released by Watford, be on Colin Caldwell's summer shopping list or whatever? Got to about half 11 uh, in the morning of the day the paper came out, and my phone, my mobile flashed up Gareth Wilshire calling, who is the uh, press officer at the football club. So I answered, I was like, oh, hi, Gareth, how are you? And he went, and this voice went, Jeff, it's Colin Calderwood. And I went, oh, oh, hi, Colin, how's things? And he went, what's this shite I'm reading the paper about Sean Dyche and I was like uh, sorry, sorry Colin because up until that point we had a very cordial relationship you know I was quite a, a young reporter my first job green as grass you know um, and we'd, we'd always got on quite well but I was very aware of the fact that the manager is someone who you kind of bow down to a little bit they're your source of information and quotes and stuff and and they are the, you know, the, the, your go-to guy at the football club. So I, it was a relationship I really knew I had to keep intact. 
And I was like, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, Colin, what, what, what's, what's the problem? And he's like, it's, it's, this, this picture of Jean Dyche in that paper. It was, and he was really angry, really swear with like the, the bad swear word we spoke about earlier. That was dropped, <laughs> that was dropped a couple of times, you know? Um, and I was like, oh, no, oh, and obviously being very naive and new to the job, I immediately backed down and said, oh, Colin, I'm really sorry. I'll, I'll take it out for the second edition. Because in those days, we did a final edition, which went to press at 12 lunchtime. And by this point, it's like quarter to 12. So I've really got to make the change to the page and get it sent down to production and get it all done. I was like, um, I'm going to hang up now so I can just make the change, Colin, but I'll call you back, okay? Because I want to smooth everything over. Um, so I did it. I, I took the took the thing out. I, I deleted the story off the page, put something else in there. And and then I called him back and he'd calmed down a bit by that point. And I said, you know, it is, it is going to be out there. Um, so, sorry, Colin, you know, um, <laughs> and, then, um, and, he, and he was really nice. And then uh, he said he, he kind of explained and what he said did kind of make sense. He said, you know, we've got play, we've got playoffs against Southend coming up now. How am I supposed to motivate the players for those games if they think I'm already looking at players to sign in the summer? If you like, I can tell you the, the Ryan Gilligan story, which I know Jake is keen to hear. Yes, please. Yeah, go, I go. Would desperately want to hear this. So Ryan Gilligan, I always got on really well with Ryan Gilligan. And as an interview on the previous episode of this podcast showed, he's a very intelligent guy. As you said, very erudite, um, very interesting, actually, you know, taking himself off to Sweden to play. And stuff, but we'd done a game at Swindon, uh, and Gareth said to Ryan Gilligan, "Are you okay to do the press, Ryan?" And he said, "Is that Jefferson Lake there?" And Gareth <laughs> went, "And Gareth went, he is, yeah." And he went, "I'm not doing it then." And Gareth, Gareth, to be fair, Gareth said, "Oh, okay, that's fine, but can I can I say tell him why?" And Ryan Gilligan went, "Cause he's a dick." Oh boy! <laughs> and I was like. All right. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, he's got a point. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, mean, awesome. I couldn't argue with it really. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, I didn't Jefferson, think he knew that well. Anything, I might have missed something here. For which apologies. Had anything specific happened? Well, no, because Gareth said Gareth came around the corner, and I was kind of laughing a bit because was, you know whatever. And um, I, I said to Gareth, "What? Like what? What's what's that?" Because I don't think I've I don't think he'd even really been in the team that much. I think he's like. <laughs> I think he'd kind of come back that night, and that's why we were going to interview him. Oh, he'd been out with an injury or something. And Gareth so that like, came I, as a I complete didn't... surprise to you. Yeah. That um, and I said, so I said to Gareth, if you can try to find any any issue he's got, like I'm happy to talk to him, like, mm. you know, discuss it man to man. Um, and Gareth's like, okay, leave it with me. And then You're fight him. Was that well, I, I fancy, we're probably about the same size, me and Gilly. So I'll give it a go. He's a bit younger than me, mind. Um, Jeez. He, um, so. In the in the sort of the the coming weeks, I I I'd, I'd sort of nudge Gareth every now and then and say, did you ever find out what Ryan what Ryan Gilligan's issue was? And the only time he ever got close to giving me an explanation was he said something like, oh yeah, I did I did manage to get something. He said um, he felt you'd been overly critical of a few of the lads, especially Leon Constantine. Oh. And I thought, well, if anything, I've not been critical enough of Leon Constantine. He's <laughs> wow. You know, he's being paid a king's ransom to play for this football club and he's absolutely awful. Often, I've got Ryan Gilligan's oh. number, yeah. I've got I like Ryan Gilligan more. <laughs> I reckon we should, we should put you two on the line together and we could, oh, it could just turn into like a counselling session. Definitely. Uh, honestly, I would be up Gilligan. for that. I would definitely be up for that. Or even if you messaged him and said, 
why do you hate him? <laughs> um, <laughs> because, I, yeah, it was so rare that I had beefs with players because normally mm. they'd probably just like slag me off to each other and then be a bit funny in an interview and then you never hear about it. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised they cared, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, kind of... <laughs> I mean, I didn't, so why should they? <laughs> he but, told yeah, me no, that he was actually, he told me that he, in those days he, he described himself as a bit of a hothead. I think that's part of the course, and I think that's a you know a little a little bit of badge of honour, really, like pissing the odd player off because you're never going to be completely. You know, you can't just follow the party line all the time no, and say no. everything's all sorry. No, you are absolutely right, and I do think, sort of, on reflection of the ten years I did the job, that I was perhaps a little bit too easy on them. Um, mm. I, I was a little bit too much um, trying to do things for the good of the club, and I think part of that was because I went into it as a fan. Don't want to get too heavy with yeah. an incident of <laughs> local media and stuff. It's, we're, we're better off talking about Jake getting stuck in the toilet at Cambridge. Can I tell you my favourite toilet in football? Yeah, go on. <laughs> it was the toilet in the old away end at Rochdale because it was just a wall and you could see over it and see the pitch while you were going to the toilet. Oh, that's <laughs> sort of disgusting, Jeff. <laughs> I think that's uh, something that should be built into every new ground. I'm going to uh, maybe the new Cobblers East stand, if that ever gets finished, we'll have uh, see-through toilets. But only to a certain level, because the rest of the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's going to prison. Um, here, so. We've been talking for quite a long time, and I'm going to wrap up a bit. I just want to um, speak to Jeff, you know, briefly a little bit about the rest wrestling and his time covering wrestling, because we've probably got some people that sports fans in general and stuff and you met people like rick flair who are you know even me i'm not a big wrestling fan but i know what a big name he is in the industry and stuff like what was it like meeting people like rick flair did you meet anyone else like i don't know who else is big like the rock or anyone like that or anyone else Just, sadly sadly never got as far as the rock that i mean that would have been okay. amazing uh, ronda rousey we got an exclusive with which was quite good um yeah. sort of a lot of the big names within wrestling but that, that rick flair one i wasn't expecting to interview him uh, it was, we were actually down to interview old, old school wrestling fans will know these the million dollar man Ted DiBiase and mm. Sergeant oh. Slaughter and Ted DiBiase was there he was really good he's massive oh, as well my Ted I was, I, I was, uh, I, I was Sergeant Slaughter Jeff <laughs> well that's the thing you see so I turned up expecting to interview those two and I was quite cool about you know I like both of them but they're not my heroes not like Flair and when we got there, they said, sorry, guys, slight change of plan. We haven't got Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> Slaughter we've had to pull Slaughter. Instead, you've got, instead you've got Ric Flair. And Holy I was like, shit. shit. Oh. I was like, shit. I was like, I was like a child. I, was like, he... I, I had like a minor panic attack. And I was just like in awe of this, of this guy. Jeff, yeah. did, you and, uh, did you and Rick lock up at any point? We did didn't, know. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was probably the biggest name. We did, Ronda Rousey was great as well. Um, New Day, I, I think New Day, who made me take my top off. Yeah, um, yeah, it was it, it was it was good fun. It was good. It's obviously massively niche. Um, Jeff, does Sergeant Slaughter like? Is he one of these guys that does his gimmick and stuff just on camera or in the interviews, and then he's someone else, or is he just Sergeant Slaughter the whole time? No, he's um, he's. I think he's kind of like a producer or something with the company. So he's all oh, right. He yeah, and and Ted DiBiase as well was not. Um, was not the million dollar man when we met him. <laughs> Although he did do the laugh, which was quite quite cool. And lots of people in the restaurant looked around, probably completely <laughs> puzzled at what was going on. Um, 
yeah, they they tend to sort of drift in and out of the character when they're when you're interviewing them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's good. What about the, um, the the Undertaker. I've always wondered if he's does because he didn't want to be Undertaker the whole time, surely. So when he's off camera, is he someone else? And you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily. Well, he's he is one of the. Uh, I'm glad you asked me this, Tom. He is <laughs> he is unique in that respect. That until very recently, he he you never saw him out of that character. And it's only been in the last two or three years that he's actually done interviews as um, his name's Mark, isn't it? Mark Calloway. Mark Calloway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's actually done interviews as as himself. Uh, but he so he protected his character for you know 27 years. Um, Big Trump guy yeah. as well. That's the, yeah, that's yeah, a lot. That's of what we all found out. No, <laughs> yeah. Really? yeah, oh yeah. That comes as a massive shock. He's not only a Trump guy; he's a Trump t-shirt guy. He uh, no, a lot of Trump t-shirts. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Well, he's in the business, brother. Never meet your heroes. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> ain't that the truth? Jeez. I think I think there's only like three Democrat. Maybe like Daniel Bryan. No, he's a Green Party guy, isn't he? And I think Mick Foley's probably a Democrat. No, well, I just think it's that's amazing for you to, you know, you write about the cobblers which you you're really interested in, and then move on to WWE. So it'd just be interesting to see if you you can pick that up again. That'd be really cool for mm. you, I think. Um, I think we'll wrap up now because we've been speaking for a fair while. We'll, I think what's come out of this is we really need to like try and piss off a few more people at the football club and they're on <laughs> <laughs> because we've got to listen to what Jeff said. Don't, don't let him off too, too, too easy. And, and then we'll get Ryan Gilligan on for next week for the, uh, on one. How about, a, how about a steel cage match? Me and Gilly for, for, for charity. Oh, I'd watch it, brother. I'm game. Okay, but anyway, guys, let's, let's wrap it up now and we'll all speak, you know, next week if we can, but all oh, thanks for joining in as usual. Take care. Cheers, guys. Bye. See you later. Bye. 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 Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 